0: a series on happiness is. We talked about happiness being abundant life. And our example was the Lord Jesus Christ. As we looked at seven things about his life that should be characteristic of our lives because you can really never find true meaning to life and happiness until you know Jesus and know how he lived and his relationship with the Father. Now this morning we want to talk about happiness is bouncing back. The fourth verse of the Sermon on the Mount says, Happy are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now my paraphrase of that passage of Scripture goes like this. Happy are those who are down and out, For they shall bounce back. That's what it really means. As a pastor, I deal with the hurt, the lonely, the suffering, the sick, the dying, all the time. In the brief time that I've been here, I've had 28 funerals. The associates have had many others hundreds of hospital calls, counseling sessions, all kinds of circumstances with people who are going through hurt, suffering, difficulty. One of the problems I face as a pastor, as you sit out there and look at me, and I know this because some have mentioned this to me, that it never seems that I have a bad day that I never seem to be down. Well, you don't see me all the time. But basically, that's true, and I thank God for that. But it's not because I'm unconcerned. I deal with hurt every day of my life. But I am endeavoring to practice in doing so the principles of the Word of God. The Lord is our refuge and our strength. He's always a present help. In trouble. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And happy are they that are down at the bottom of the barrel, for they shall bounce back. They shall be comforted. And I try to live that. And I'm thankful that it works, that Jesus Christ is. Real. He's alive. There are a vast number of experiences that we all undergo, emotional experiences that must be dealt with. But the principle is laid down here right at the beginning of the great sermon that Jesus preached. No matter how far down you get, no matter what the difficulty is, you will bounce back. Jesus does not define that which causes the mourning. He does not take time to list 110 things that will cause the mourning or the difficulty. It may be a state of depression. It may be a, a period of difficulty in your business. It may be a problem in your marriage. He does not say what the cause is. But whatever the promise is positive, they shall be comforted or they shall bounce back. That is happiness. That's the ability that God gives to every person that ever walks this earth. This week, up in British Columbia at the camp meeting, it kept me very busy, except one day I just had one morning session which gave me the afternoon free to go into Bellingham where my oldest brother lives, whom I had not seen in quite some time. My wife and I drove across the border and into Bellingham and had a wonderful time visiting with my oldest brother, Les. He is a radio and television newscaster in that city. Les was born with a very, very strange condition in his left leg. Or is it his right leg? It's his right leg. His leg is a mass of varicose veins. It is purple. His whole leg is just a mass of veins. He is medical history. Doctors study his case all over because it's such an unusual case. His leg is two inches shorter than the other. They would have removed his leg long ago, but they fear that if they would do it, he would bleed to death, that there would be no way to stop the bleeding. He has had countless surgeries on the leg, doing one thing after another, to try to keep him mobile. The last, or the next to the last surgery he had, I believe they had to give him 24 pints of blood during the surgery. His leg has been so difficult to handle through the years that it wore out the sockets in his hip until they were just rubbing together and he had to have sockets put in. His last surgery was below the knee, And the doctor said, I'm going to give you a local. They always want to give him a local because they're afraid they'll lose him during these surgeries. They're so shocking to the system. And he said, no, you did that last time and I don't want to hear that saw going through the bone again. For they cut almost all the way through the bone below the knee trying to move his leg away from the other. And here he sits in his chair with his cane propped up beside the chair. And I said, Russ, what are the prospects for the future? What's the prognosis? He said, well, he told me the other day that he'll probably have to make the ankle now set, fuse it, so that I won't be able to use it. There's so much arthritis now in the bone in that area that they're going to have to now operate on that. And he said it with a smile. And I know the agony and the pain that he's endured through the years. But he was able to talk about it with kind of a a grin and a, well, so what, I've made it so far and God has helped me and I'm still able to work and carry on and God is good and I'll make it through another one if I have to. The amazing resilience of the human spirit. Blessed are they that are down, they will bounce back. Then I went to dinner with Les and Mary, his wife, and my wife, of course, was along, and I met my uncle, Wes, from Ohio, and my Aunt Inez. They've been very close to us for years, and I haven't seen them since 1973. They were out for his 50th high school reunion, And here was Uncle Wes hobbling on a cane. He had a very severe stroke two years ago and couldn't talk for months, couldn't walk, totally out. And even with a speech therapist standing in front of him who had come to try to help him, she said, he'll never talk again, said it right out loud in front of him. But my brother Les visited them shortly after that stroke and my brother had just gone through one of those horrible surgeries and my uncle saw him getting around on that cane with much pain and something within him said, I can do it too. And here was my uncle with the expert saying, you will never talk again, he'll never function again. He's talking, he's walking. I wanted to help him up some stairs. He said, I can handle it. Driving a car again. And he said, and I'm going to get rid of this cane, too. And I don't doubt it one little bit. Aunt Inez looked at me and said, Glenn, it's an absolute miracle. She's a Catholic, devout Catholic, dearest lady. And I said, Aunt Inez, I know it's a miracle. It's a miracle of God. And when we knelt for prayer in the Holiday Inn in Bellingham over our meal, sitting next to Wes, I prayed, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for the miracle and complete the healing of his body. Because God says to every one of us, it doesn't matter if you've had a stroke or they've cut away at your body, Time and again, happy are they that are down, for they shall bounce back. That's the word of God for every human being in this building today. I know a man in my former church who was conned out of his business. He had worked hard to found this business. A con artist moved in on him and totally cut him out. I said to him one day, Denny, what are you going to do? He didn't even have a payment for his house. He said, Pastor, I'm going to bounce back. And today, he has more employees than he's ever had. He has a bigger business than he ever dreamed of having before. The amazing resilience of the human spirit under God under God. Darrell Walker was with the men last night, sentenced to 15 years to life in prison. Now he's walking the streets of San Francisco, leading people to Jesus Christ, sharing the love of Jesus Christ, leading Agape Incorporated, Yesterday, 500 people on the streets of San Francisco witnessing for Jesus Christ under the direction of a man who was sentenced from 15 years to life in prison. What changed him? It was the principle that I'm talking to you about today when Jesus Christ comes into the life, when Jesus Christ pours in his life. There's newness there is resilience, there is the ability to get up and go again and make something worthy in your life. That's the principle of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I don't know what problem you've come to church with today, but I know by the witness of the Spirit of God in my heart that some of you are, are desperately in need of what I'm going to tell you. I have three points in my message today. Number one, don't blame God for the situation. Don't blame God for the situation. Let me illustrate it by taking you, at least in your mind, up into the mountains where the streams begin, flowing from the beautiful slopes of the mountain. You can kneel and drink the pure, clear, sparkling water of the stream. You can drink it where it begins its journey to the valley below. But downstream, a cabin occupant day by day walks out of his cabin door and throws his sack of garbage in the stream. And others along the way do the same. And by the time this stream becomes a river, it has also become a sewer. Now, who's to blame? Is it the spring up in the mountains? No. You can drink the water up there. It's clear and sparkling and beautiful up there. The problem is the pollution that's thrown into it on the way down to the valley. God is the spring and source of joy, peace, love, every good thing. I said it earlier in the service, from the Father of lights comes every good and perfect gift. God does not send suffering, sorrow, sickness, and death. The God of Christ Jesus creates only life. He creates love, health, and wholeness, and happiness. It's not God's fault. And I have seen people time and again say, God, where are you? Why, God? Don't blame God for the situation. It's not God's fault. Let me illustrate it further. Some time ago, I picked up the paper and there was a headline which said, Grandstand Collapses, Dozens Are Killed. Now, some people would say, God, why did you let that happen? Read on in the story. The man who sold the tickets for the event was greedy. And he overloaded the seating. A promoter who wanted a little bit extra. And a greedy contractor who cut corners in the reinforcement of the stadium. Now, can we raise our fist in God's face and say, God, why did you let those dozens of people die? Wasn't God at all. He sat up there and wept at the greed of the promoter and the contractor. Who brought it about? You have read headlines such as I have. Head-on collision takes the lives of four. In such accidents, investigate the causes. Who's at fault? God? No, man. Man is always at fault. Rebellion against wearing seat belts, against speeding laws, against Don't drive when you drink rules. Is it God's fault? I have had minister friends killed. One of my dearest friends from boyhood on up into the ministry in his early 30s was killed. wasn't his fault. He was hit by a reckless driver and killed in his 30s, leaving a wife and children. Should I say, God, you shouldn't have let that happen to Wayne? No. God wept. Man's fault. I've had circumstances like this. Lung cancer takes life of young husband and beloved father. Some say, why should God take my husband or take this person? Don't blame God. It was not he who invented soul or in any way encouraged the husband to smoke those cigarettes which the physician told him could Take his life. Where does the blame belong? On imperfect people. That's where the blame lies. It's not in God's hand. He's not responsible for one single unfortunate event resulting from man's carelessness, his unawareness, or his ignorance. They stamp right on the package. It's, law, uh, it's uh, harmful to hell. Yet we violate and human error enters in. The culprit steals that which is good. Error of judgment or of will or of purpose. Selfishness, indifference, rebellion, folly, stupidity, brashness. All of these lie at the root of suffering and misery. I read again recently the result of David's folly in the book of Samuel. Because of his adultery... And his rebellion, his little son died. Did David raise his fist to God and say, why did you do this, God? No, David said, it's my fault. And I know why he died. It's because of my sin. And it's good for us to recognize that. Don't blame God for the situation. If you've come to church today and you've had the tendency to say, God, why have you allowed this? Why have you brought this on? Why has this thing happened? May I encourage you to look around and see if it isn't the indifference of somebody, the bad decision of somebody, the rebellion of somebody, that God says to you, thou shalt bounce back. I will comfort you. I'll help you. God isn't rejoicing over it second thing that's important is to recognize God's revelation on this subject. If you're outlining on paper, just put down God's revelation. There are three things under that. Number one, the Ten Commandments. We already went through those, so I'm not going to stay long on this point, but just to bring this to you again. These laws of God were given to protect us from an alluring, tempting path which would ultimately lead only to sickness, sin, and sorrow. To follow them, there is spiritual health, mental health, emotional, physical health, killing, lying, stealing, adultery. All of them are bad for your health. That's why God put them in the book. Thou shalt and thou shalt not. And we say, "Oh God... I'll do it my way. Look at the epidemic of venereal diseases in our society today. What's it from? People saying, God, I don't need those laws. And it is an epidemic. It's a terrible epidemic sweeping our country. Do whatever comes naturally. Live like you feel like living. We've reduced ourselves to the way of the animal in the street, flaunting ourselves before God. No wonder we're broken. No wonder we're sick. No wonder we're dying. God has given us a revelation, ten simple commandments. Follow them, you'll be healthy. Break them, you'll be broken. The second thing is the secrets of health that God has set forth in his word. Read Leviticus. God has given us fantastic insight into the sound condition of the body and mind. It is he that revealed good habits of eating, of drinking, and sleeping, and working, and exercising. He laid it out for us. Yet the doctor still smokes and drinks to excess, the minister eats improperly, and all of the rest of us. In some way, blatantly disregard the knowledge that God has revealed. You see, God's revelation is you need to guard the hell and guard this temple of the Holy Ghost. You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. And you're to guard this temple. If we would eat and drink to excess and not exercise, it would be as bad as letting the house of God go to rack and ruin. Just letting anybody rip the upholstery off the seats, cut up the carpet, throw paint all over the walls. This is the temple of God, and we wouldn't think of letting that happen. And yet this is the temple of God, the vessel in which the Spirit dwells, and we let it go to rack and ruin. We disregard His revelation. That's why I try to watch what I eat and keep running as much as I can so that I can keep preaching and keep moving and keep from getting sick and on my bed. God wants to teach us these simple rules. Third thing is he has given us the secret of salvation from sin because we know from the Scriptures that sorrow, separation, sickness, and disease are all caused by sin. Physical illness is caused by mental tension, stress, worry, anxiety, guilt. This week at the camp that I was sharing with Brother Willard Candelon, who moves around this world, has been an evangelist all of his life, said that a doctor told him just recently as they were conversing together that they now are coming to the belief That at least 90% of cancer is caused possibly by fear. That that is what they are evaluating now. That fear destroys the cells in the body. And cancer takes hold of them and eats away and destroys the life because of fear. He was tying it into prophecy. He said in the last days fear will come. People's hearts will fail them for fear. Fear. And in these times of uncertainty, look at the cancer problem that's around us. Could it be that some people sit in church fearing tomorrow, fearing the circumstances of life, and there is eating away at the blood cells because we've forgotten the secrets of his salvation? I read in the paper about a boy in Texas who had a a bad blood stream, and the doctor decided that what he had to have in order to live was to completely have his blood changed. In all reality, that boy was dead for ten minutes. They put a saline solution in and moved out the bad blood, and behind the bad blood there came in a whole new bloodstream into his body. For ten minutes he didn't even have blood in him for all intents and purposes, as the old was being moved out and the new was being moved in and they called it a medical miracle because he lived. When I read that, I said in my heart, Hallelujah, that's a good sermon illustration. Because that's exactly what Jesus Christ does. He comes from Calvary and he moves out of our bloodstream the ugly, the fear, the guilt, the tension, the anxiety, all of our sins. And he pours in his own red pure blood. It's glorious. And we're new and made whole because there flows through us a whole new system, a whole new bloodstream. You understand that secret? When we surrender to Christ, our negative sins and emotions are drawn out of us, and there's a healing of mind, a healing of body, a healing of spirit that follows the sin and the ugliness of the past. Hallelujah. Jesus said that if you want to see God, you have to be born again. What does that mean? The old blood is drawn out, and a spiritual saline solution is put in. Thank God. And there's a new spirit that's given us by Jesus Christ, just like new blood. If doctors in Texas can give new life to a young man like that, think of what Dr. Jesus can do for this congregation. You can be well, you can be whole, you can be in Christ, a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. That's what Jesus wants to give you today. God's revelation, the Ten Commandments, secrets of health and secrets of salvation from sin. Then thirdly, bouncing back requires denial. There are two things here that you must see. You must give up and you must take up. I've heard preachers talking about give up till I've had it up to here. Give up, give up, give up, give up. Negative, 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 but they never tell me what to take up. And the church has failed so badly in years past by saying, this is what is demanded. This is the law. Ah! And they've never said, here's a rope to hang on to. So I've got to talk about giving up, then I'll talk about taking up. In giving up, we give up that which we think might be blocking us from a clear relationship to God. As I'm speaking about it, the Holy Spirit will reveal to you whatever that is. We need to give up that which is blocking us from clear relationship with God. That's why the writer to the Hebrews said, Lay aside every weight that doth so easily beset you and holds you back and drags you down. Lay it aside. Give it up. Any fast makes you feel close to Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, fast and pray. It brings you close to Jesus. It's giving up. Remember when you decided to tithe? You decided that was the will of God and the Word of God. Didn't you feel drawn to Him when you gave up your stubbornness and your selfishness and you began to tithe according to the Bible? It's an adventure of walking by faith, this thing of serving God. And God proves Himself to us. Give up something you like very much. It may be money. It may be smoking. It may be eating for a time, at least cutting down. It may be some activity that you enjoy. It's a decision between you and God which will become a spiritual adventure for you. And you'll discover Matthew 5, 4. Happy is he that bounces back. And it may require the denial of oneself, as Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, follow me, give up, give up, give up. They looked at him on the cross and said he saved others himself he cannot save. Listen, there's no salvation without sacrifice. I do not think you will ever have a real experience with God until you pick something out of your life very dear to you and decide in this moment of faith that you will give it up with the help of God and take up that cross and follow Jesus Christ. That's what it will require. They didn't understand Jesus. He saved others. Why doesn't He save Himself? They were missing the whole point. You gain in losing. You gain in dying. The corn of wheat falls into the ground and it dies. And if it doesn't die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it springs forth. We hate to die. We hate to give up. We hate to be buried. We hate to put aside our selfishness and our own will and our own way and those foolish habits that destroy us. They're like the little blanket in the comic that I've referred to that Linus pulls around, its security. We just hate to let go of it, and we let it there until it ravels and shreds in pieces. But we ought to be big enough to get rid of the blanket and walk by faith and trust Jesus Christ. But in giving up, then we take up something. You can live without something if you have something to live for. You know what is a perfect field as far as farming is concerned? A perfect field is where not only are there no weeds, but there are also crops planted and growing. You go out and pull out the weeds, that's right, but don't just stop there. Put some seed in. Let the crops grow in the field. A young married couple living in a cheap little apartment are happy. Why? They have a cause, their new married life. And that's enough. They've taken something up. And they're happy, though they don't have what some of the older folk have. An artist may live in a musty attic, but he's happy because he has a cause to live for. His creative artistry. He knows that someday he's going to make it big. He does not need many material things. He's willing to give up so he can take up his artistry and become a great artist. An intern can live on little sleep and little money simply because he's wrapped up in his life's desire to know medicine or to know how to be a pastor or whatever the internship might be in. They're willing to give up. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added. You give up, but you also take up. You take up serving. You take up giving. Happiness is bouncing back. Not blaming God for the situation. Accepting God's revelation of a good life. Denying yourself so that you can give yourself more fully to God. That's what he meant in that little statement in Matthew 5, 4. Happy are those that mourn. Happy are those that are down at the bottom. And even reaching up to touch bottom. For they shall bounce back. They shall be comforted with a real experience with God. Christ's cause is before you. And he says, take up that cause. Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men on the way. He has no tongues but our tongues to tell men how he died. He has no help but your help to draw men to his side. Take up, take up. That's the challenge of the Spirit to this church in this hour. In the 80s, the challenge is to take up. Take up. We're going to win this city for Christ. Take up. We give up so we can take up. So that we can see the thousands brought to a relationship with Christ. That's why we want radio programs, television programs. We've got to get outside of the walls. That's why this evangelism explosion program is beginning at 4 o'clock today. Training for our youth and then later classes for the adults. That we can get out and take up. Believe that God is by His Spirit going to do a great work in this city. and He begins right here in the church on Sunday morning. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Happy are those who mourn. Remember, Jesus did not define the cause. I don't know what problem you're facing. Depression, illness, whatever. They shall be comforted. They shall bounce back. God has a better life for you. Grab hold of a star today. Drink from that stream high up in the mountain before the garbage fills it. Come to the fountain of life. A little boy out one day had a hold of a string. On the end of the string was his kite. And a mighty gust of wind came along and just lifted that kite way up into the clouds. About that time a man came walking along saw that little boy holding the string and he said what are you holding that string for Well he said I'm flying my kite He looked up he said I don't see any kite The little fellow said neither do I but I know it's there because I can feel the tug on the end of this string You may have looked up and you may not have seen God in your depression your in your ailment, in your problem, you may have looked up and said, God, where are you? God has sent me here to tell you today that he's there. I feel the tug on the string. I know he's there. And I know what I preach to you today is truth. He shared it with me to share with you. Don't blame God. Look at his divine revelation and begin to live that revelation out. Then give up that thing which you know is displeasing to him and take up his cross. Follow him. Trust him. He's there. He's pulling on the end of the string. And I sense his power in this building today. That we might come out of ourselves into health and into wholeness. The great desire of this pastor's heart is that this might be a healthy church. That we might enjoy physical health and mental health and emotional health. And we might influence our neighbors and influence this city and influence the government and influence the other churches in this city that they might see happiness is knowing God in a personal way. His power is real. His presence is real. His healing is real. His salvation is real. He's moving through the earth to touch those who will receive His blessing. He's tugging on the end of the street. I walked the streets of Calcutta, India with Mark Buntain one time. I think probably as no other time in my life I thought I was closer to Jesus. It was like walking with Jesus himself. Dirty, filthy city. Kathy Oates just got back. Horrible condition. But here's St. Mark of Calcutta weeping over the sick and the dying, pulling little kids out of the gutters, training them, feeding them, ministering to them, thousands of them. Mark, you ever think you'll leave Calcutta? Been there over 25 years and he wouldn't leave there even to come home if it wasn't for raising funds and taking care of things he must take care of. Oh, it's fantastic what happens in a human spirit when you give up in order to take up and find that happiness is bouncing back. He wanted to be a radio announcer. But Jesus called him to India. And I don't know how many people will be in eternity because a man was willing to understand the principles that I've shared with you today. Let me go back in closing to my oldest brother, Les. Years ago, when I was very young in the ministry, my wife and I were visiting my mother. We were sitting in the living room and my brother, Les, walked in and I could tell something was wrong. His countenance was down. I said, what's wrong? He says, I can't follow my trade anymore. My brother was one of the finest art glass workers anywhere to be found. He put together these beautiful leaded windows and art glass windows for churches. He would install them, but because of his leg, he couldn't climb the ladders anymore. Everything had just then torpedoed out from under him that which he loved to do in his creative ability. He could no longer do because of that leg. Couldn't stand at the table, couldn't climb the ladders. An inspiration hit me in that moment. One of those unusual times, you just know God is speaking. I said, Les, you've got a beautiful hand, and he does. He writes very well, and you have an excellent voice. I said, why don't you go down to the technical school and take up radio and television? You could sit and write out newscasts and sit in front of a microphone or a television camera and give news. You've got an excellent presentation and writing ability. And it clicked. It just like, it was just like thunder. It hit him like a bolt. And he did it through the long process of study, totally changing his life. He's become one of the best because Jesus Christ puts in every one of us the ability to bounce back. We're never so far down that the love of Christ does not reach us, that the power of God does not raise us. We're never so far down that his power doesn't undergird us and lift us to new heights and to new accomplishments in life. That's what he's calling us to. Consider it as we bow our heads in prayer all over the building. Now the Bible tells us, and I quote this week after week, The effectual fervent prayer of a man in right standing with God avails much. God will hear my prayer. I've come to the pulpit today with a heart filled with love and compassion for people who are hurting and going through difficult circumstances. First of all, I want to ask how many of you would like to be prayed for this morning because you know that You have sin in your life and you need a Savior and Jesus Christ wants to put His blood in there and wash out the old and bring in the new. You want that kind of relationship and you'd raise your hand and say, Pastor Cole, I raise my hand asking Jesus to come into my life and asking you to pray for me. I believe God will hear your prayer and I need Jesus in my life. Would you raise it up right now?